But to me, the lifeline is the face. Seeing another's face in the program. It just calms me right down. And I watch it at meetings now, too, where people come in and you see their agitation, their tension, and then you hear somebody say something, and all of a sudden you see their shoulders drop, their leg uncross, stop moving their foot, and you go, wow, yeah, that happened to me, too. (laughs) It's a beautiful, to me, it's a beautiful gift from HP. Welcome to the Recovery Edgecast. My name is Alfredo. I'm an alcoholic, but today I'm sitting here with Anne, who is a member of Al-Anon. Hi, Anne. Hi there, Alfredo. Nice to be with you. Thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. How many years do you have in the program of Al-Anon? I came in in May of 77, so that would be 44 this May. Wow. Well, congratulations. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, that's a, yeah, you've seen a lot then, I bet, in this program. It's been a wonderful journey. Yeah. Not painless, <laughs> no, but joy-filled. How did you grow up? I grew up my, <laughs> which is really funny because I have friends that tell me I grew up, but that we were pretty well-to-do, <laughs> which <laughs> I never saw that because we all started working when we were like 12 or 13 years old. I was babysitting and so I never really thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was a very good life with my father's recovery. My mother suffered from a, a mental thing, but uh, didn't stop her from running for public office <laughs> for years. Uh, and uh, well, she was beautiful, with, you know, with people, but it was a problem. And uh, but by and large, I would say I was blessed with a beautiful family, a very compassionate family, best friends, my grandmother and grandfather, just the best in the world, and confidence it gave you. I grew up in a small town and you felt like you knew everybody because of my dad owning a business and it, I pretty much did. <laughs> pretty much did mo- know most of the people in our hometown mm-hmm. and it, it was a really nice childhood I would say. Really beautiful childhood. Do you want to tell us the decade? Um, I was born in 43 so my uh, my journey you know when, once you started school Back in the late 40s, up into the 50s, 60s, that was beautiful. Awesome. Wonderful experiences. I, uh, yeah, it was just a great journey. How about you tell us your story, um, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today? Oh, I'd be glad to. Um, I came in, like I said, in May of 77. I had hit like a brick wall. I had tried all kinds of things to make my life right. And nothing, nothing helped. I just got worse and worse, started to hide out, um, got away from my family as much as I could, and did my shopping at 10 o'clock at night so I didn't have to run into people. And then finally a friend said to me, how about tomorrow morning you uh, meet me at a meeting? I'll call you in the morning, an Al-Anon meeting. It's down at this treatment center. Will you meet me there? I'll call you first thing in the morning. She called the next morning. I spent the whole night figuring out reasons why I shouldn't go and how I could get out of it. But she caught me off guard and said, well, I have to go. I'll see you there in an hour. So I had to get somebody to watch my children, run down to this place. It used to be my old high school. (laughs) And I got there, and she said, well, we have an hour. 
and I sat and relaxed with some friends. My father was also, he was an AA. My father was a recovering alcoholic, and he was an AA. And so I knew some of the people that were sitting there, and I had an interesting conversation with them. Felt kind of comfortable. And then this one woman, we were starting a brand new meeting, and she was from AA, and she said, I'll help you get started. And she came in and uh, shared her story, and I thought, I am in the right place. I am definitely in the right place. And I thought of reasons in between why I shouldn't go back, but somehow one of the gals called me and asked if she could have a ride, and I went, absolutely. Picked her up, and that was commitment from then on. Realized right from the beginning that I had not kept commitments to myself, and this was one I was going to keep. I felt the improvements right away. And within about four months, so did my ex-husband. He said, I don't know what's going on with you, but you've changed, and I don't like it. Made me want to go all that much more. <laughs> you said ex-husband? Ex-husband, yes. Hmm. Yes, he took off um, when my kids were starting school. First day of school, he took off. He had a girlfriend, but he also had a drinking problem. And... Uh, He'd been doing that quite a bit, you know, with uh, the girlfriends. And I just kept going, and I was so delighted that, first of all, there was no judgment. No, uh, this is what you did last week. <laughs> it was so refreshing to go and just be myself. I got a sponsor right away in the program, and uh, being able to talk to her, and she would call me because I was intimidated to call anybody. I was bothering them or whatever. And she said, no, I'll go. So she called me, and um, it just it was such a blessing to have people there that understood what I was going through without having to give them all the details. So I continued to go, and one of the things that I caught on to right away because we had started this new meeting, and we were all new in the, new in the meetings, and then this one gal that was helping us out, she said, okay, you, you got it. I got to go back to my meetings. <laughs> I need my meetings when I'm dealing with you people. <laughs> so she did, and uh, we kept the meeting going. And then about five months later, I branched out and took in a second meeting. And that was a life changer, too. That was absolutely beautiful. Um, I learned my first lesson of why we are anonymous. I remember my brother's secretary coming into the meeting halfway into the meeting she noticed me sitting across the room and wanted to fly out of the place I could see it in her eyes but the coffee machine was between me and her in the door and when I got up to the coffee machine I said now please I want to keep this anonymous I don't want you to tell anybody you saw me here and that she's still going <laughs> but it was a lesson learned for me you know, how important the anonymity was in the program. Can you tell us what made you think you needed to be in the program in the first place? I felt I was losing my mind, and he seemed more sane than me, and I knew he was nuts. <laughs> and my family knew he was nuts. And the violence with my children was becoming threatening to me. And I did not want to be a lousy mother, and I needed to wake up. And I was grateful for this friend that said to me, meet me at that meeting, because she walked into my house and saw it too. And once I got there, I thought, this is, I can't change him. I can't change anybody but me. 
And of course, that's what the program also suggests, that you can't change somebody else, but you can change yourself. And I didn't know where to begin, so one day at a time worked just splendid for me. And so did the anonymity, that I didn't have to dump things on my family. I didn't have to listen to advice from my family. I could work it out one day at a time. And one of the things that I heard when I was first in the program was when you get busy, you get better. And one of the, at the time I came in, uh, there were a lot of AAs that were actually doing the Alateen meetings. And this fellow said to me, hey, you're good with kids. How about you do an, you'll be the sponsor for the Alateen? It's like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. My children were young, and uh, a mother of one of who wanted her kids in Alateen came up and watched my kids while I did the Alateen meeting. And I saw my improvement by doing Alateen. I could see the errors of my childhood and my behavior and how I conducted myself because these kids would share their stories, and I could so relate but still remain the adult in the room. It was such a relief. It was beautiful. And uh, so then I started another Alateen on request of a guidance counselor, and we did it on the phone all during the school year, which was quite amazing. And they basically kept their anonymity and insisted my anonymity too. And uh, what tremendous growth it was for me to be able to identify and not feel sorry for myself, though resentment was my strong suit when I came in. And that isn't something you can just wish away. That's something you really have to work on. And um, in a healthy way of changing other things, the resentment left and the pity parties left. And uh, now I, I do have to admit it is not a graduate program for me. I mean, my family is filled with people that suffer from the disease and we, whether we drink or not, suffer from the disease. I remember one time thinking it very complimentary that friends would call me and say, well, you think like an alcoholic. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I probably do <laughs> with all the people in my family. And so I worked on that and uh, realized um, the impact of the disease, how much it is a disease and how it impacts the family and brought about a great deal of love in my family, a prayer my dad had taught me. He was a recovering, as I said, alcoholic. And I remember one time having a conflict with a student in high school, and he said to me, honey, this is what you need to do in the morning. When you get up in the morning, you ask God that every good thought you have of someone else, let it be a prayer for them today. And you'll be surprised how few bad thoughts you have of others. And boy, that really worked with the program for me too. Because then that um, detachment from the calls that we gave each other, I could detach from their problems and yet be focused on the recovery of the program. And that, that was a gift. That was a beautiful gift of the program, was to not have to take everything seriously and have, come up with an answer for them, just delve into the program for that day. And it's worked ever since. And uh, to this day, I'm on record with a lot of people <laughs> And like I said, it's kept, my, uh, it's kept my focus, my serenity at a high level. I think I've had like maybe three days during this pandemic where I was like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? Make a phone call. <laughs> and I did. And thank God they weren't in the same place. And we would, uh, you know, and it was always resolved with HP. HP, you know, just get back in today. 
and I did, and uh, I see it for me not being a graduate program. And I, a lot of my family has come into the program. Uh, when I moved from New York to Colorado, I think there were at least 16 of us in the program, either in AA or Al-Anon or Alateen, and uh, it's been very helpful and filled my life with joy. Not painless, by no means not painless. <laughs> and the conflicts resolved themselves with never giving up on the program. When things got rough at home, so I went to an assembly, and I worked for the program, and it worked for me. <laughs> Kept myself active, always took the calls. Uh, I remember a friend telling me, when, um, when you um, get busy, you get better. Don't give up on it. And that's, uh, my kids can tell you that too. It's given them a really good focus on responsibility in their own lives too because they take on the challenges and I'm grateful for that because they didn't fall back into my, oh my gosh, poor me. Uh, and that's, and it's helped them. Not made their lives perfect by any means, but made them very loving and all my kids get along, which I am so grateful for with eight kids that they all have each other's back. Even with the active part of the disease in the family, they have each other's back. They went to Alateen, well, most of them when they were kids. And that has been a wonderful resource of living in today and loving and not letting the program or the disease overcome them. The first five years that you were in this program, how did that go for you? Super highs followed by super lows. Yeah? That's exactly how it went. Spent a great deal of time on the phone at strange hours and did about five meetings a week if I could because every time I thought I had it worked out, it didn't work out. And then I realized you can't hear HP when you're crying and whining. You have to kind of let go of that and talk to somebody. And that's... And even um, a couple of years in the program, I remarried, and uh, we've had a beautiful relationship for 42 years, and it hasn't been easy, but it's been, it's been a joy. Even at the worst times, there's still a joy. If he and I weren't getting along, the kids and I were getting along, and they felt safe and uh, comforted in that, that the program could see us through. And... It got us back to our faith, which was something I thought I had lost before I came into the program, because everything I tried, I just, you know, me, I was trying to do the right thing, and nothing happened, so God must be against me. I'm just all screwed up, but that resolved itself as well in the program, knowing that HP was there, and no matter how anybody saw it, we all had our belief, and uh, to restore it that way, there was, it was a spiritual program. Have you been in the same area with Al-Anon this whole time? Or? No. No, I've been in three different areas and uh, started meetings in all of them. Yeah. My two of them are still going, one back in New York for sure. It's been there for, oh my gosh, about 35 years, 30, no, probably about 40 years. <laughs> you ever visit? Uh, no, but my daughter goes to it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And a friend of mine, her, her kids go to it, too. And I was like, really? It's still going? Yeah, it's still going. Hmm. And, uh, and then we moved to uh, different spots in Colorado. Started a couple down there. And as far as I know, the one is still going. 
and up here where I am, it's uh, it's interesting when you start a meeting. <laughs> it doesn't turn out the way you think it was going to turn out. But um, oftentimes, the crowd you have the first two years is not anybody there from then. <laughs> but it goes and it builds itself and uh, people get involved and it's restorative. It's just, for me, it's been just wonderful to be able to uh, trust in the program. And the anonymity has been the key. You know, my husband was a fear of um, being identified. Some of my kids, and no, it's never been betrayed. And that's a beautiful gift in the program. So in AA, we lose the obsession to drink. What is that moment for Al-Anon where you have your recovery? Well, the beauty is most Al-Anons are married to AAs, or a lot of them are. Mm -hmm. And if they are having that period, it's not usually real good at home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it gets a little rougher. And uh, so that we have to intensify our program and maintain our own individuality. And one of the things that I, all my life, had a dream of what I wanted to do when I grew up, when they ask you that in school or your family, and I had, you know, a dream of wanting to have a good family and um, really didn't have that clear picture on exactly how that works. But I think through the program, I've learned a great deal of humility in relationship to living with an alcoholic and their, uh, their conquer of their disease day by day and uh, the ac acquisitions of your own personal goals and this world's need for you to achieve. Um, it's been very resourceful living that one day at a time and not being humiliated, but recognizing the, hu the, hum or, uh, the humility that you need to make a marriage work, to make a marriage, especially living with this disease, of what you need to do. You do need to stand up for yourself, as so do they. But... Um, both of you going to meetings is a beautiful, beautiful thing, though it can be very painful for many years, and it has been uh, on both sides, I'm sure. But it's been very rich in how we resolved it. And making amends to our children along the way. What do they have, you know? I mean, they don't have a voice in it. And being able to um, continually, that's one thing I committed to, was doing a fourth step every year since... I think it took me three years before I could really do an intense fourth step. And in fact, my sponsor said, put it away for <laughs> the first couple of years. You're not ready. Hmm. And when I finally did do it, you know, because we're living in somebody else's head, not our own usually. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm going to make this commitment every year so that I can see who I am. And that has been a beautiful part of my, I used to do it on tax time. <laughs> April was my fourth step. Fifth step followed up for lunch with a friend <laughs> or sponsor. Hmm. But now I do it in January. And we got to the point of where we would do New Year's when the kids were younger. We would do it on New Year's Eve with the kids that were home. And they would write up goals and uh, achievements, failures, what they wanted to change, amendments they, amend, amends they wanted to make to maybe dad, to their sister, to whatever. And that's been very rich. So I'm very grateful. I still do it. I still do a fourth step every year. When did you start that tradition? 
Well, but like I said, about three years into the program, and I did it with my first sponsor, so that was like 41 years ago. So 41 years in a row. You've been yeah. doing this for like 40 years. Yes. <laughs> yes, and it's uh, it's wonderful for humility, but also realizing your dream because you own your own bad behavior, and then you um, aspire to the dream, not a fantasy, but... This is what I'd like to see. This is what I wish would happen in my life, and uh, and it and it's come. It's filled my life with joy. Hmm. It's made my grandchildren question of like, you didn't tell anybody, Graham. <laughs> I always loved that line. You didn't tell anybody, Graham. <laughs> no, honey, you told me. Oh wow. <laughs> well, I didn't have that when I was a kid. You know, gossip, they didn't wait till the door hit you in the butt before you were talking about that one. Mm -hmm. And now it's uh, no divisiveness. So trying to eliminate the divisiveness in my family. And, uh, you know, once in a while there's a kid that's just got, you know, he's got the goods on everybody else. And he'll call me and he'll say, oh, I love you, Mom. But, you know, this brother of mine, and we go into that, and I was like, really? And how do you think he sees you? and it eliminates the divisiveness and you'll say yeah i guess that's not a bad path to go down is it it's not Mm -hmm. a good one at all (laughs) so i'm grateful for that because i think that's a real uh, hindrance to recovery in the program is divisiveness Uh, if you talk to a sponsor or you talk to somebody that you can relate to and you know that that confidence is going to stay there um, you can correct your own bad attitude about it and not have to share it with anybody else. Just know that you can correct. That is a confidence that I love in the program, that that being able to um, detach from somebody else's problems when they share them with you, and, but, and know that they do that too. They're not looking for solutions in your life. They just want to hear you out, maybe point out something they read that day in one of the magazine or newspapers, or not newspapers, but... Uh, we call it the forum, or they read it in their daily readers, and it's so uplifting. How does somebody know that they are ready for the program, or they should be in the program? Why Al-Anon? Because when you um, get to that point of wanting to change somebody and it's not working, Mm -hmm. or everything's falling apart in your life, you know something has to change. Very hard to go to an Al-Anon meeting. One of the things we used to do and kind of fallen away from, we had a GR and an alternate GR. And one of the responsibilities in the service manual was the alternate GR became the sponsor of the person that walked in the door until they could relate to somebody from our phone lists or make calls. But call them so that they had the confidence of maybe making the next meeting. We've kind of gotten away from that. Things have, you know, with the technology and stuff like that and women working more than when I first came in, it becomes a little more challenging. But that's a really important part of giving of yourself when you come into the program because um, everybody wants a quick cure. And this is definitely one disease. I mean, for some people, maybe it works. They come, they hear what they need to hear, and they can move on with it. Myself, entrenched in the family disease uh, on all sides, 
it, that wasn't going to work. That was definitely not going to work because there was so much divisiveness. And you become a part of it. And to hear the closing that says, no gossip or criticism, and you go, wow, <laughs> no gossip or criticism? This is a place for me. <laughs> I think it's, um, you know, suggestions made and counseling when, it, when um, they started treatment centers, which was in my time span here, um, people figured, well, you go for treatment and it's just all over. Well, this is so much more beautiful. I have acquired so many beautiful friendships, having been in the program all these years. Not only that, the beautiful life of people that come into your life and share their life. They come and go. That's HP's plan. And, but they enrich your life, and you enrich their life, and you accommodate one another. You know, I've had people stay in my home because of a dangerous situation. Uh, I've had people visit me after years to let, you know, to want to share it because something changed in their life. To be open to people, to be available. That, to me, was one of the most beautiful gifts for myself as well as that I could give to others was to be there and to take on the responsibilities, to serve. Not everybody wants to uh, be a leader or take on the responsibilities of things, but somebody has to in order for it to maintain itself. And even though I would oftentimes go, oh, why me? I'd do it anyway. And then I would find out why me. And becoming familiar with the service manuals, is so beautiful in so many facets of your life, your ethics, your morals, your principles. They become so enlivened by being participatory in the, in the service manual of giving of yourself. I mean, what are we here for? It just has enriched my life tremendously. Have things changed in Al-Anon? They have. Yeah. yeah, over the years they have changed. Um, and like for the very reasons that I'm saying that so many more women are working all the time. Mm -hmm. And I know with my own self, when I had to go back to work, your schedule gets so tight, you know, do I do the laundry tonight or do I go to a meeting? Oh, but I got to make that. Oh, I've got to do this. But somehow when you assume the responsibilities of your fellow members of doing what you can do, that stuff's kind of eases up as well. It's just that overwhelming, uh, like you said, first five years mm -hmm. of like, whoa. I mean, everything was a super high followed by a super low. <gasps> I'm going to lose the house. Oh, <gasps> my God, my card broke down. <gasps> oh, this is the end. Oh, my job. It was, you know, it just was, everything was so emotional. And uh, I think it took me probably, I would say, probably the first 15 years before I felt... Um, kind of a joy in going to meetings instead of a necessity. Hmm. It was like, oh, an hour of relief. This is so beautiful. Or I'm going to see so-and-so. Oh, maybe we'll go for coffee afterwards. Oh, that'd be so nice. Me out for coffee with somebody. It changed, but it took a, it took a great deal of time. And with a big family, whether it's your own kids or uh, just a big family or just a lot of involvement with the disease, which is so prevalent now. And it's certainly during this pandemic, so many people where you can't get out when you need to get out and can't get away from each other when you need to get away from each other. Thank God we still have phones. Right. And <laughs> lots of reading material. 
But to me, the lifeline is the face, seeing another's face in the program. It just calms me right down. And I watch it at meetings now, too, where people come in and you see their agitation, their tension, and then you hear somebody say something, and all of a sudden you see their shoulders drop, their leg uncross, stop moving their foot, and you go, wow, yeah, that happened to me, too. <laughs> it's a beautiful, to me, it's a beautiful gift from HP. So you're, you're making me feel like like there's hope is really what we're getting at. Yes. Or Yeah, it may not turn out the way you think you're going to turn out. Mm-hmm. That's the one valuable lesson I've learned. I now just in the morning get up and say, hey, HP, I tried it my way. I'm all yours. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just messed things up. I'd rather do it your way. And mm-hmm. that, <laughs> that's a comfort to me too because there is tremendous hope. Even in, you know, the suffering within the family, I have seen the outcomes, not the way I expect them to be, but turn out well in its own way, but a completely different way than I anticipated. Or I would have told them how to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that <Yeah>. never worked. <laughs> Especially with my own kids. I never told them to go to meetings. Oh, no, no, no. Mm. <laughs> Except when they were little. Alateen, yes, get your butt <laughs> to yeah. your Alateen meeting. <laughs> so you involved them pretty early in in life yes yeah when for you did you notice when did alcohol become a thing for you like do you remember when you kind of had i don't know if 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 it's the right thing to say a negative idea of it or when it impacted you oh it always impacted my life i remember my father when i was a child uh he got sober when i was five years old I clearly remember, and I shared it with my brother that's a year younger than me, and he hadn't remembered it, but it eliminated a nightmare that he'd had often. When we were standing at the top of the stairs, and my father had my mother's arm twisted behind her down in the basement, and uh, yelling, she was yelling, and he was, and I went, it's going to be okay, bro, it's going to be okay, and hugging him at the top of the stairs, and it wasn't long after he went to his first meeting. And life changed. It really did change at that point. But at that age, it made me aware of others drinking. My grandfather never drank much. My other grandfather, I never was around him if he did drink that much. Uh, he was a lot older. And uh, my one grandfather was just like my best friend, him and his, my grandmother. And they didn't, they didn't drink much. You know, I mean, they'd have a social drink, but they were not drinkers. But my one grandfather's brother, they used to hide him out for three days. And I loved him. He was a wonderful guy. He was uh, uh, career Navy, handsome, you know, and it was like, oh, he's, don't go upstairs, dear. So, I mean, I knew he was drying out from a very young age. And then my other uncles, when one came back from the World War II and then the Korean War, and his drinking was an abomination. And it was humiliating. I mean, he'd uh, do things he shouldn't do with me. And that, so I was very aware of that and intimidated by it at first and then stood my ground. Um, So I was very aware of those that did drink. I had a couple that never, you know, my one uncle always always looked up to him. He was only about 16 years older than me. And he was a rock in my life. But I was very aware of those that had a problem with the disease. And plus being that my father was in the program, he was very active in the program. Also, well, I won't go there. <laughs> but um, he went to meetings very often. 
there were people that they actually had their um, they didn't have an Al-Anon meeting back in the day, but the women would come up to my mother's house while the AA meeting met down in the Legion Hall. And so I was privy to those because my bedroom was right off the living room. So I was privy to some of that conversation as a kid. You know, I was only like six, seven, eight years old. Is this in New York? It. This was in New York. Oh, cool. And uh, so it's kind of, you know, and of course with my dad, it was like, mm-hmm. whatever you hear, dear, you keep it to yourself. He had his own business. And if somebody came in, it was like no conversation, hello, goodbye, answer their questions, but, you know, this is my business, and it's not yours, dear. (laughs) So, and a lot of my family had their own businesses, so it was very, you just kept your mouth shut, you know, children to be heard and not seen, and be respectful. And uh, so that was, you know, imprinted on me, though I never really had a negative because of my father's program. And being in AA, even with these unks and um, aunts that did drink, it was no harsh talk about them, but acknowledgement there was a problem. And when to, you know, get away, <laughs> you know, don't sit around, and leave the room. And uh, so I was always aware of it. I was aware alcoholism was uh, a disease. Did that affect the way you behaved around other people? In general, growing up? I don't think so, because there were the parties, you know, where mm-hmm. there was drinking at the parties. Um, when I got out of high school, you know, it was still you met friends in bars and went dancing. And I, so I didn't, I did find myself more attracted to alcoholic guys <laughs> hmm. uh, or, or them to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, because some of the guys I dated were real solid citizens. And not that the guys that I, you know, dated were bad guys or anything, but were inclined to drink too much. Mm-hmm. And I felt that was, I don't know, I don't know how I felt about it. I, I think the program helped me work that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, just growing up in the disease. You know, that's one of the beauties of Al-Anon, too, is you can work out those details. You don't really know. You can take it to a psychiatrist. They're not going to give any solids on it either. But... Uh, the program has given me that, and, and a great deal in love for, for those that have suffered from it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when you raise your own children and they suffer from it, you're far more compassionate and less, less judgmental, but stick to the rules more, too. When you meet with somebody and they might think that you've just had it together forever, how do you explain to them what it was like before? I don't bother. I don't bother doing that. I just tell them, you know, I suggest that I would go with them to a meeting if they wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, you know, this is not an easy journey. I think I was more sane at 16 than I was at uh, 26 and maybe even 36. So um, rather than giving them all the relevance of my disease along the way, it's like, hey, come on, I'll go to a meeting with you. You know, or, hey, give it a try. Hey, you need to talk to somebody? I'll give you somebody's number. Let me give them a call and see if it's all right. You call that person. Yeah, have them call me. You can give them my number. I'll go to the meeting with them. And it makes a connection, and uh, next thing you know, they got a new buddy, <laughs> and they can identify. And they don't necessarily want to identify with me because I'm, like, too happy <laughs> a really? lot of times. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're just too, yeah. <laughs> you're too happy. Yeah, you're just too happy. 
And, and I must say, I, my life is happy. That's one of the reasons it kept me in the program, too. I heard nothing but sad stories when I first came in. Uh-huh. I didn't hear where this program and working the programs together, you could, you could have a good and solid, cohesive life. Nothing was going to be an easy path. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to hear that it worked out and people lived joy-filled lives with this recovery program. And I must say, it has worked that way for me. It's working for my one, one of my kids, too, that it's, you know, let's deal with it. And they've dealt with things. So um, that, to me, you know, that's one of the reasons that I stayed was because I want people to hear that you can work it out. He can be an AA. You can be an Al-Anon. And, yeah, you're going to have disagreements, but you don't have to go toe-to-toe in front of the kids. You don't have to beat each other up. You can just get more active in your program. <laughs> and I think with my husband, he felt that, uh, well, she's not going to give this up. I might as well change. I might as well go to another meeting. <laughs> and I think that worked. You know, so, um, and I see it too. I see my friends too having a much better life because they've stuck with the program. So you've seen a lot of success stories. Oh, my goodness, yes. I am so grateful. I just yeah. talked to a friend the other day. Her son's been two years sober. I was like, thank you. He's such a beautiful kid, you know, but he's, what, 48 now. <laughs> so it was like, ah, uh, if we keep hanging in there and keep doing our thing, it'll work. Mm-hmm. Third generation in the program. So mm. it's a beautiful thing to watch. <clears throat> and plus it brings your spiritual life back together. For me, it did. Yeah. I'm grateful for that. Has there been a piece of advice early on that really just somebody hammered home and just stuck in your mind? There was one. What was it? It was, um, there's an awful lot of you have to's. There's not an awful lot of you have to's in Al-Anon, but there's an awful lot of you betters. And I took that sage wisdom from this lady, and uh, I must say it worked. Hmm. That was my, that was a gift. Now, if you could give yourself a piece of advice, that might have been it. I always, I ask this in every interview. Oh, that's okay. Like, if you could give yourself a piece of advice within your first year of recovery, what would that be? Keep it simple. <laughs> and I used to have that on my uh, mirror and on my steering wheel. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. And then I changed it to sweetie. (laughs) Aw, because you're so happy. That's it. And I'm a little more kind to myself than I used to be. Mm -hmm. One of the good signs is when I'm in a bad place is how I wash my hands. (laughs) I sound dumb. But when you're washing your hands and you're just wringing them, it's like, that's not nice. (laughs) Wow. I've never thought of Soften it up. Put some hand cream on. Get a better attitude, girl. <laughs> nice. It works. I'm going to have to watch out for that, the way I wash my hands now. Like, am I being kind to myself here? Yeah. What am I angry at? Here, you know? <laughs> yeah, why am I so mad? Um, I want to go back to something you said really quick. Earlier, you had said somebody had told you you think like an alcoholic. What does that mean? Well, at first, it was kind of complimentary to, in, my, in my way of thinking. was like, oh, yeah, that I can see what it would, how it would affect them and mm-hmm. what the thought process would be. 
And then as I did my inventories, I realized, well, I may not do the drinking, but I certainly have the behavior process down. Mm. <laughs> and it was like my harsh response to things, uh, my convictions, not being softened on them and um, justifying bad behavior. And I thought, oh, those are signs of the disease, the guilt part of it. And so I did an entire year on guilt and shame. I asked myself, I don't have it handy, I don't think, uh, four questions. And I did it every day on guilt or shame. Do I own it? What's my part in it? And I can't remember the other two. Or what am I going to do about it? And getting through that, I realized that a lot of it was shame-based. And then it was easier to apologize and work the steps when I was aware of what I was doing. So in the sense, it was the same thing that I was dealing with with my spouse, my brothers, you know, my family that were suffering from the disease. My one brother was AA for years. And he and I had a great confidence between each other, uh, real close com com camaraderie. And um, we, could, we could own that, you know, and say, oh, yeah, yeah. Then you get them off your back. And I went, yeah, that's what I do, too. That's my harsh response. And I say it in such a domineering or self-righteous way that they stop there. So that was, this, that was more, uh, it was a defense mechanism that I understood that the alcoholic uses so that they don't have to communicate in often, in often situ in situations. But that really helped was doing that guilt and shame. Hmm. It's pretty amazing how involved your family is in a 12-step program. Oh, yeah. And rare, do you think? I can only speak from my own experience. Well, the one friend I'm telling you about... Um, that's a family situation, too. Like I said, a couple generations, a few generations. Mm -hmm. um, I've known several. Um, in my family, there were, when I, I would say when I had about eight years in the program, there were at least 20 of us in the program. Not always known to each other. It took really? years to, yeah. Wow. Pretty incredible. When, uh, you know, we just wonder, wow, it really changed. <laughs> yeah. And then it would be something would come up, and the next thing you know, oh, yeah, he's been going for nine years. Really? <laughs> wow. You know. And anonymity, huh? It was the anonymity, yeah. Yeah, you saw the changes, and they didn't, uh, or other parts of the family would not know it. Maybe we kind of on the inside of the program yeah. would be aware of it, but we wouldn't disclose it to anybody else. You know, so it was like, wow, can you, see? wow, I can't believe uh, what a difference in that guy. He's, wow, he's he's much nicer boss than he used to be. <laughs> and you just say, well, that's good, you know, but you knew he was in the program for a long time. <laughs> that's awesome. So to me, that was a real magic. The key was the anonymity. And uh, one of the, one of the <clears throat> times I was confronted with, I don't care what anybody thinks about if they know I'm going to the program, <clears throat> well, you might be the very thing that keeps somebody from going to the program, just like my brother's secretary when she saw my face. 
and I had not gotten up there, she wouldn't have been back to meetings. She told me that. Mm. <laughs> and like I said, she still goes to meetings as far as I know. And the same thing. It's like when you meet somebody in the store, you don't tell them, hey, I remember you from the meeting. It's like, oh, that was nice to have coffee with you the other night. That's why we serve coffee and tea. You got the cover up <laughs> of how you know that person. And that's been very helpful, too, for anonymity. Thank you, Anne, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us. I always enjoy hearing the perspective from Al-Anon. Thank you, listeners, for checking us out. You can find us at recoveryedgecast.com. Also, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, wherever you like to check out your podcast. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.